So for the, for the, for these listeners, what would you say are the, the emotional intelligence or the, the wisdom of their, is it their discipline? Is it their ability to, uh, okay. Well, more important than the emotions are the quantitative things. For one, don't put yourself in a position where you'll be forced out because you're getting over your head. Mm. It's on margin or it's the normal fluctuations during a day. You're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast. A podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. This is a special Steady Trade podcast today, folks. First of all, I'm riding solo. My co-host, Stephen Johnson and Tim Bowen, weren't able to join in this recording and interview today. But we have a really special guest, and I think you're going to love this episode. Uh, I met Victor Niedelhofer 10 years ago at New York City's Junto meeting. Victor is one of the most fascinating and interesting people I've ever met. Uh, he's a legend in finance and a true genius, and yet extremely down to earth. I attribute that actually to him having been born in Brooklyn. Having been born in Brooklyn myself, I can tell you that you don't last long in that borough if you're not authentic. Brooklyn requires of you to be kind of on the razor's edge of confidence and a little bit of bravado and humility. And Victor, I think, exemplifies both. Uh, Victor started uh, out trading futures and options uh, since 1979, and he began his business career after studying statistics and economics at Harvard and the University of Chicago. Victor became one of the top financial advisors in futures, options, and stocks, and George Soros actually says in one of his books that Victor was the only one of his managers who retired voluntarily from his fund uh, and still ahead. Uh, and in fact, Soros had sent his son to Victor when his son decided to go into finance. So Victor's firm uh, returned 35% a year from inception through 1996, and he was ranked uh, then as the number one hedge fund manager in the world. But disaster struck the next year, unfortunately. And as he likes to say, he has this uh, famous kind of clip that he responds uh to uh, that time. He says he's been crawling his way back up the stairs, not entirely without success. And I think you'll see that it's a lot more than just not without success. Um, Victor's also the co-author of the book, Practical Speculation. Uh, But his first book, The Education of a Speculator, is my favorite. And it shares his life story, his mindset, and his tips for studying the market along with his love for his father who was, you know, just has such a big impact on him and his life. Uh, it's just a really uh, big book and it's just a wide and scope of so many of the ways he looks at the world. I think you guys really will take it. It's, it's quite a book. Uh, 
So Victor is 77 years young and his depth and his breadth of knowledge is truly staggering. Every time I'm with him and conversation, I've known him now about 10 years. Um, I feel smarter just having had a couple of conversations with him in a room and I'll walk out and feel like my mind has expanded. So I think you'll find the same. Um, you know, he's been in the markets for 55 years. In this interview, you're going to see him say things that might surprise you. And in fact, you might not even agree with. In fact, it's different perspective he has than what uh, we here at Steady Trade and Stocks to Trade advocate. But we here believe that it's really important to be exposed to multiple perspectives, even if we don't agree with uh, them, even if you don't agree with them, because it can only inform you at being able to discover your edge and the kind of trader you want to be. Everybody has to be that kind that has to decide that for themselves. So this is a big part of what, uh, you know, out of everything I've learned so far, as you guys know, I'm a baby trader, everything I've learned so far from Tim Bowen, Bowen from Stephen Johnson, from Tim Sykes, all of them are telling us, yes, we have to study our asses off, but then we also have to find our style, what's compatible to our temperament. And if Victor Niederhofer is an example of anything, he is an example of being a man who is true to himself and to his lens of the world. And while he takes in all this other information, he still makes his own decision for himself. And I hope that this interview does anything. It inspires you to become the trader you need to be for yourself. So first of all, it's good to see you. It's been quite a few years, sir. Yes, thank you very much. It's good to see you. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm, we've already started to record. So, you know, this is just a casual conversation, Victor. I want you to feel really like you can, we can talk about the different topics that are important to you. I, I, reason I thought of you in the first place, besides you being a legend, is because I wanted your, uh, one of the books Tim had picked in our book club series was The Fountainhead. And he felt that was a really important book for traders to read. And so um, he suggested, you know, that as a book. And I thought, well, who would I want to talk about that book? And I thought of you because of the times we spent at Junto. I know you love Rand so much. I love her so much. So that's the reason I invited you to talk about the Fountainhead Uh a little bit about why you think that might be valuable for traders, but also to just share whatever you think might inspire or encourage our audience of day traders. What is your audience? They are, for the most part, a demographic of young, probably male day traders. And how did you um, get in contact with them? Well, these day traders are the viewers of this podcast, so we'll be speaking to them. Well, um, I think the day traders might be more interested in my views on the stock market. Well, that's what that's what I would like you to do is speak of that of, as well, obviously. So, so it's a combination of things today. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I'd like to say that. I would recommend reading Atlas Shrugged um, as opposed to The Fountainhead because the virtue of uh, the stock market 
is that uh, you're developing a a piece of of the American business enterprise, and you're investing in business enterprises. And if you want to know how a business enterprise runs and why it's important for it to be free to uh, develop its um, its products and market it, and why why it's that's a value as opposed to the government controlling capital uh, it's it's first mainly important to to read out the shrug and then to follow that with the the triumph of the optimists okay now the, the triumph of the optimists and his two collaborators shows that an investment in the stock market from 1900 to the present would have about a 50,000 sold return. In other words, if you put in a dollar and you indexed it, it would come to 50,000. And the reason that it comes to 50,000 sold return is because by investing in the stock market, you're participating in the enterprise system and all the know-how that individual entrepreneurs and business corporations uh, make to um, try to make a profit and you can participate in it. You're, you're basically lending money and buying a piece of their enterprise. So yeah. the, the returns from the enterprise are given in the book Triumph of the Optimist by Dimson, Marsh, and Shell. Okay. okay. The Storm. That's awesome. I, it's a, not a book I've heard of before, so that's a book well, I'll definitely read. Uh, everybody should read it. It's the most important book written about the stock market, and it's a good antidote to all the baloney that's written that. Many people have read my book, The Education of a Speculator. It used to, it was, yes. it was a bestseller. And many day traders come up to me and say, you know, I really enjoyed your book. And the only book that I, that I find comparable to it and that I enjoy as much as Reminiscence of a Stock Trader by by Lefebvre. Is that is that Jesse Livermore? Is someone? Yes, but you... that that's the greatest insult to me because, in addition to certain books that you should read, that book is the worst book to read because it's a lesson in failure. He empirically and theoretically the um, Jesse Livermore before he committed suicide 
um, was um, and bankrupt five times. And all of the lessons that he talks about in his book, which seem so apt, are highly destructive. And I would recommend, first of all, that you read John Mockman's uh, updated edition with, with historical notes on the reminiscence of those doctor. And then you should read my review in Barron's of, of that book to know why you shouldn't read it. And okay. To, and actually, the, the, less, the reason you shouldn't read it is because he was bound. It's not only that he, he did fail. And by the way, I, if any of your day traders are in New York, I would recommend that they, they always walk across the street when they pass the Sherry Netherlands. Because that's where, that's where Jesse Livermore committed suicide. Oh my God. <laughs> that's on about 62nd Street. Wow. In Central Park. Um, East. Oh, that, I didn't realize it was out to Sherry Netherlands window. Well, the reason, the, the reason, the reason he failed is something that day traders should keep in mind. In fact, they should relate it to what I just said about the triumph of the optimist. If you can make 50,000 fold return on, um, by buying and holding, then there's a wonderful engine that can make money for you. But when you're the reason Jesse Livermore failed, by the way, my grandfather used to trade with him. Really? Oh, yeah, Grandfather Martin. Wow. And, uh, he, uh, in those days, commissions were about 4 or 5% uh, on, um, for a round trip. And the bid and ask was about 3%, so that by the time you got into a stock, you were down about, well, let's say, 5 to 10%. Now, in addition to that, he, he traded frequently, and he traded on margin of about tenfold. So he started out down about, let's say, 5 or 10%. And then a 5% move would, would um, put him down 60%, 10 times 5% plus the bid ass and the commissions. Now, your friends, the day traders, might think that because they only pay um, $2 a side rather than on a typical $100 stock, which... Um, Jay Livermore paid four or five dollars, they might think, well, they don't have to worry about the reason that Jesse Livermore was bankrupt five times. But actually they do, because if you're going for a two-point profit on a stock and you pay 25 uh, points uh, for the bid ask, 
then you're basically giving you're giving a vig of twenty of twelve and a half percent to the house. Now when you when you play in Las Vegas, there are a lot of games that you can play where you only give two percent to the house and you know that the house never loses. So if you're playing a game where you're taking out small profits as the most as most traders day traders do, you're bound to lose. Now in addition to that, you have people with better access and better uh, better infrastructure, the high frequency boys. Yep. So that in addition to taking out 25 cents on each trade, they'll take out another, let's say, 12 cents. So that you're really, you're really playing with um, a 30, <clears throat> 15 to 20 percent vig. Now, if you if you're doing that often, you're playing a game where the house, whether it's poker or um, roulette or sports gambling. An interesting thing is that the sports gamblers who are akin to the day traders uh, only have to win 52% of the time to break even. So in a, in a sense, they're, they're giving big of 2.5% that's what it works out to when you take the um, the trade um, ask and, and the, the house take. Now, the, a sports better can never, very rarely can win when he's playing at two and a half percent vig. Everybody, I'm sure, knows what vig is. That's the yep. amount the house takes, and that's. That's why Jesse Livermore went bankrupt because he gave away. And fortunately, the brokerage houses knew that so that when he went bankrupt, they would give him another stake and they'd let him play with their money and he'd then lose it all in commissions and um, being forced out through margin. Wow. So day traders, day traders should try to ride along with the drift, with the old man, old man river. I, I like to mm -hmm. uh, call it. They should. That's a good, good song to to play in every day trader's office. Uh huh. Because old man river lets you participate in the 50,000 fold a century drift, which by the way, Dimson, Marsh, and Staunton update every year. Plus now, now what I'm saying seems inopportune because the market's down about 15% from the beginning of the year. But it's been down 15% before and the uh, 50,000 fold a century return has been consistent. Almost any 10 year period, you can expect uh, with a variation of about uh, half, a standard deviation of about half the mean, you can expect 
25% uh, of the time, you'll make 15% and, and five or 10% of the time, you won't make your 10% a year return, you actually lose. And by the way, a day trader should be thinking about, and he should have the standard and pause security price index record with him as well as access to <clears throat> Yahoo or Bloomberg, which gives the returns from, from walls, uh, from, from stocks, from from the time they began taking statistics from about 1897 to the present. And they should all look at what, you know, we're in a bear market. Now, is that, is that supposed to scare you? I mean, what happens during bear markets when, when a closing price of the S&P is, is actually more than 20% below a, sub, a previous high closing price. By the way, you can't use within-day prices because a lot of times within the day, it will be down 20%. By the time the end of the day, it won't be there. So people who actually create the statistics on bear markets make the error of, um, of only counting the times that it's it, intraday goes below 20% and stays below 20%. So there's a tremendous bias. In any case, the first thing that a day trader should do is to say, now, what happens when the market is down 20% from a subsequent, from a prior high? Is that bullish or bearish? Well, take out the pencil and paper. And by the way, that's one thing that I'm very famous for and that I've taught to a lot of people. They should always ask whenever they hear something that seems sensible, have you tested that? Have you taken out the pencil and paper to see whether a bear market is bullish or bearish? I claim that when the market has gone down 20% from a previous high, you have to be exact, because many of the previous highs were up 10%, 15% on the year, just like now we're about where we were in May of 2020. There's a big rise in December and a big rise in January. So when you take when you take a a move from a subsequent high, naturally it's going to appear as if it's um, enormous in extent. Victor, did, let me just ask you a question. Just now you said May 2020. Did you mean May 2019? No. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, 2019. Okay, okay. Yeah. So please continue. Okay, as, um, so day trader, don't go for small profits and don't, 
and minimize your VIG, minimize your turnover during a day. You, you're advocating you're advocating that day traders should not go after small profits. Correct, that's correct. They should always they should take a position and hold to the end of the day, and if possible, they should hold to the next open. But that has to be tested, depending upon what stocks they're buying or selling. Mm-hmm. But they're not gonna they're not gonna possibly make money if they're competing against the high frequency boys. And the bid asked of of twelve and a half percent, so they're playing they're playing a losing game. I know I know a lot about it. I'm sure your your listeners know that also because many of them follow sports very keenly. Yes, yes. And what, there are sometimes you, you get against opponent. And he loves the way you're playing because you can't win. Yeah. For example, when you're you're playing a baseline game, and you're staying back against Nadal. You can't possibly win. And of course, uh, my background is from handball uh, and squash and sure. Handball. You play someone like. Marty Hogan in racquetball, and I had what I had, even though I was ranked in the top ten in racquetball. Uh, I had a slice backhand, so he would hit the ball about 120 miles an hour, and I I'd be hitting it about 50 miles an hour. There's no way I could win. Mm. Although I did beat him the first time I played. Well, well done. Well done. And squash, it was a little different. When people played against me, they had to to know that they were playing a losing game. I I could return every ball on the court, and I never made an error. I played an errorless game. So if you think about it... um, it's winning. It's a winning. It's still a win. It, it, you may not have won the game up against those, but you still won. For 10 years, I was basically the, uh, I was the national champion. I didn't compete for five of those years, but I, I won the national championships five times. And the only person that could beat me was Sharif Khan. Wow. And I, I played a losing game against him because he hit the ball he hit the ball earlier than I did and uh, I don't like to think about the reasons that I lost to him 70% of the times. Okay, so now, Victor you know. Victor here's a question for you so if the majority of our listeners are day traders And they are especially dealing with, you know, this, what's your opinion on the place we're at now with the market? What's the, you know, not so much prediction, but what's, what's direction you feel you see it going over the next six months? I predict the market every day. So you you asked the right person. Okay, good. Well, up the, the major method of predicting the market, I've had, 
I've had so many people who have taken my methods of predicting and now use it. Uh, uh, I'd say half to 50% of all the uh, trading platforms are, use my methods of predicting, which is that we look at the intraday prices, the relations of one market to another, and the statistical frequency of, of returns and variations given the regularities, which will vary by day of the week. Now you asked me about a book that should be read, and I recommended Atlas Shrugged. I'd also recommend the book the Secrets of Professional Turf Handicapping by Robert Bacon. Okay. And you'll find a good discussion of that on the internet. In fact, since I recommended the book, it's very hard to get. Wow. A good library has it. But anyway, in that book, you'll see someone who understands speculating and he develops the the theory of ever-changing cycles which basically means that whatever whenever you have a method of profiting in life or the markets that the other side will adjust their positions so that the method that you are making profits stops working. And he gives an example in a, a typical horse racing outing that of four different systems of making money that that start losing, and um, it's once you read that, it's it's very revealing, and it's also very important for day traders to making money the same way a few times. You can assume that it won't work. I like to use the example of the the crocodile hunter in Australia. Mm -hmm. Crocodiles don't eat uh, don't eat daily. They sometimes uh, the average duration of their um, dining is about three months. Wow! But they have a tremendous memory, so that and they so that if a if a crocodile sees you fishing in a certain place, uh, chances are that will be on one of his fasts and that he won't uh, jump in to kill you. However, he'll remember exactly where you were the last time you passed him, and three months later, he'll be ready for you. <laughs> so the crocodile hunter knows never fish in the same place twice. Wow. 
For example, today in the market, as most, most of your traders would know, we're talking on, um, on Wednesday, the, uh, the market on, on Tuesday went down 30 points from 345 to the close. Well, today it did the, so the people who, who don't hunt crocodiles were thinking, well, maybe it will do the same thing again. So instead of going down 30 points, it went up 30 points. And that, that occurs in every aspect of the market. It's a, it's a principle of law. One of the rules of, that I give day traders is never try to make the money the same way twice. Mm. It's also a variation of the um, principle of ever-changing cycles, which you yeah. can find. And, and today is April 8th. And today is April 8th, 2020, everyone. So you can, just so they have context, Victor, with what you just said. Very good. What else is on your mind? Well, I'm just curious if you feel, what, what would you say are the top three important things? Uh, my, my focus in this podcast all the time is around the emotional uh, mm -hmm. intelligence. So for, the, for, the, for these listeners, what would you say are the, um, the emotional intelligence or the, the wisdom of their, is it their discipline? Is it their ability to... Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, well, more important than the emotions are the quantitative things. For one, don't put yourself in a position where you'll be forced out because you get in over your head. Mm. Whether it's on margin or it's the normal fluctuation during a day. And then Second, don't, don't pyramid during the day because that leads to two, two problems. For one thing, the principle of ever-changing cycles means that if you keep trying to make money the same way, you'll lose. And the adversaries, either directly or indirectly have have a way of knowing exactly what you're doing no matter how no matter how small your trades are the infrastructure will stop to take your money away that it's hard to believe that you know if they see a way uh for example an options to uh to make a $10 million profit, that is enough to steer the whole market against you. Mm. So a, good, a, good, a good way of thinking is that there's an invisible evil hand that knows exactly what your positions are and that will always be ready to force you out uh, when it's in their interest. Now, 
Now, for the average day trader, they're only going to make $50,000 or $25,000. And, and, and Victor, some of our, uh, most of our listeners are actually looking to make a lot less. The, the, the day traders that we are actually, you know, speaking to for the most part are looking to make, uh, sometimes their entire account, they, like Stephen Johnson, one of our co-hosts, he starts out with only $800 and he takes that and he's lately been able to turn that into like $5,000, $8,000 a month. So most of our day traders are doing this with small amounts. Of, some of them are doing much larger, obviously, um, but we're the, the advocacy in this podcast with Steady Trade and Stocks to Trade and even Tim Sykes, the the one of the educators of all this material speaks to making small profits co- consistently over time. That's, that's completely wrong. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a, that's a lesson for certain failure to take small profits that, that maybe you're dealing with uh, um, a 30 minute window or two hours and you're competing against someone who plays a better game. You're competing against the high frequency trading. So are always going to run in front of your orders. If you put a limit order in, they'll be right, they'll be right ahead of you. And if you put a market order in, they'll uh, hit, hit the bid or ask. So you can never make money by playing against someone who's, who's um, better equipped. He spent million dollars on getting better access and uh, has, I mean, why is it that the high frequency traders for 10, you know, some of them for 10 years have made money every day? Mm. Of course, they're competing against the proverbial day trader. Now, what other, what other rules have you um, felt would actually help you? Of course, the problem of being margined out is very, very conducive when you start with a few thousand dollars. You buy a hundred shares of a stock, and uh, I mean, most of most of your day traders use a lot of leverage. So, if it moves, say say you're using five times leverage. You're, you're subject, uh, if the market goes um, 2% against you, you've lost 10% of your, of your money already. Now you can't, you can't, can't do that too often and stay in the game, certainly, certainly as a, uh, a method of, of speculating to, to start out Start out with, um, well, I said 15% big mm-hmm. and then letting uh, a 2% move, which is, say, occurs once every two days and stuff. Nowadays, nowadays you're getting 5% moves. Right. So if you're, if you're if you're wrong on a five percent move or five times leverage, you you've lost twenty five percent plus the fifteen percent vig, 
And then your boss is going to say, you know, there's no, you have to, you have to come up with more margin. Yeah. What, so what, go ahead. Yeah. What do you feel, uh, the, what do you feel the kind of personality, is there a certain kind of personality or temperament that you think is better suited to day trading than, than another? Yes. The best, the best day traders are very phlegmatic and calm. And they take a long-term view they're not ephemeral traders at all. They don't try to take small profits because they know it's a, a losing game. And they try as much as possible to participate in the drift. The best trade is a scholarly. They don't trade based on whimsy or fancy. They trade based on tested methods. Mm. And the well, tested yeah. methods, the tested methods you have, Victor, are those tested methods that you were mentored in, or are these ones you created yourself over time? You know, I created them myself. Yeah. In fact, I, I wrote the first program that takes account of the intraday movements of all markets and how they vary and their predictive powers by day of the week. Mm. Uh, but hundreds of my colleagues who have worked for me have now taken those methods and they use it in their own trading with uh, much more capital than I have. Yeah. What, what do you think is the, the next three to six months in the market? What, what do you see coming this next year? Well, this is a very good time to buy and hold. There hasn't, there hasn't been a 20-day high in about um, 60 days. And that's happened about 12 times in the last 10 years. The, the duration without a 20-day high. There was a 17-day high when not. 20 day high and um, if you test what happens when there hasn't been a 20 day high in such a long time you'll find that the uh, the expectation to the next next 20 days is about 10% up now of course there's a lot of variability to that 10%, maybe the standard deviation is about 30%. But nine out of 10 times, um, you'll make money at a time like this now. You might say, well, this is a very different kind of, of market than any other. But no, there, there have been times in the last 20 years when the market has been just as bearish as it seems right now. And most of the time, most of the time on an expectation and a sharp ratio adjusted fashion, you, you make money by coming in. So 
Another thing I would advise against is, is shorting stocks. That's, that's very bad. What do you not like? What do you not like about it? Well, it's a lesson for disaster. It, about every two years, the last short seller cries uncle and he gives up. And George Soros has said he, he's lost more money shorting stocks than any other way. Wow. And you have to, um, I don't know any, but any short seller, I've only been trading for 50 years, actually. 50, no, excuse me, 58 years. And wow. I, I've never met a person who, who was a short seller who made a profit. And, and invariably, every two years, uh, the last short seller will close his fund. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the short sellers look very good right now because yes. they, they happen to have uh, caught one of those um, 10 or 20% swings. But by the way, if if you go long every time there's a correction in the market mm-hmm. at 10%, that's a great time to go in. In other words, when, when the, the headlines are... A glaring correction. Market is in a correction. This one or that one. That has to be tested, but you'll find that on average, when when it's down ten percent from a previous high, that's usually a, a very very good time to take a position. Now, as to the twenty percent, there aren't that many uh, instances that you can actually test it. But mm-hmm. you know, there there probably only been ten percent, uh, ten twenty percent corrections in the last twenty five years. So it's hard to do a statistical comparison. And by the way, you were telling me uh, you were telling me uh, that. Ayn Rand's books are very good, but yeah, here's another one that's very good. Okay, let's see. Everyone the news, should the new statistical. Everyone should have a good background in statistics for trades. Okay, whether it's a formal, whether it's a formal knowledge, or a practical knowledge. But here's a very good. It's an elementary book. The New Statistical Analysis of Data by Anderson and Finn. Okay. I have other I have other good books. I have the, the Speculators Reading List. Okay. I have in addition to um, to reading. Uh, Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. And the Optimism book, what was the title? The op- Triumph the Optimist. of the Optimist. Triumph of the Optimist, got it. That's right. And now any book by Andy Lowe is very good. 
Andy Gull, G-U-L-L. Yeah. Oh, by William Gottsman. Okay. Uh, he's a professor at Yale, and Andy Gull is professor at MIT. Maybe you'll email me. Everyone should have a good knowledge of economics through trades. In fact, when you ask me what kind of emotion is best for trading, I'd say a scholarly emotion is the best for trading. Someone, someone should be interested in books and should be always trying to learn new things. And whatever the field, as I happen to think that ecology is very important to speculation. And I, I think of your book, uh, Victor, the uh, education of a speculator, the story that's in there, and please remind me of the details, but how you allowed the environment and different things that you saw by way of cigarette butts to influence just your, your understanding of the, you know, kind of where the milieu was for the, for the people out of well, the world. Well, much more, much more than a, a, uh, an axe as to a little thing that you can fine but right it's a it's a a role that you play in the feeding web whether you're whether you're providing food to those above you or taking food from those below you now unfortunately a lot of the questions that you've asked have, have related to the day traders being being food for the those with more resources, and that happens. And now, by the way, another important book, which um, a great professor recommended to me, he said is the most important important book ever for the stock market is Ben Green's horse trading. And he shows, he shows all the deception and all the methods that the horse traders uh, who are very big in the West and, uh, and um, all the, all the methods that the horse trading is used to to urge to urge uh, their buyers to to buy at the wrong time and to give them bad merchandise mm. and um, so that's a very good book to read that's awesome that's awesome and, maybe these other titles I think we're gonna what Ben we're Green. Gonna, ben yeah. Green. Ben Green. Yeah. We're probably we're probably going to close up the conversation soon, Victor. So, is there anything else that you would want to say uh, or leave with the viewers around? And, and instead of reading the Fountainhead, I would recommend reading Elmer Kelton's book. 
The time it never rained. It's the time that, it never rained. The time it never rained. Okay. A book that's similar to Alice Shrug, and it's by someone who really knows this field. He was the goat, sheep, and cattle reporter for the San Angelo papers for 20 years. And he's, he's by far the, the, the first or second best Western writer. You know, I'm sure all your day traders are interested in good Westerns. So he's, he's far superior to Louis L'Amour. Wow. Uh, the, uh, they'll, they'll get such a, a feeling of, of knowing what's happening and of foundation for, for living by reading that book. And the, the hero of that book is very similar in, in many ways to, uh, to Dagny or John Galt. Another good book by him. And by the way, the Western writers have an annual competition where they give a prize for the best book every year. And Elma Kelton has, has won that, they call the Spur Award, has won that about seven times out of wow. 20 years that they've been having it. Another wow. good book by Elma Kelton is The Good Old Boys. And you learn about a person who's independent and who understands the forces of life that are against him and refuses to bend. But by the way, the, I say it's only the first or second best Western. I, I think the best Western might be Monty Walsh by Jack Schaefer. Wow. Anyone who reads that doesn't come away with uh, an appreciation of how the new has to be adjusted for and how everything is always changing and who doesn't come away with a deep feeling of appreciation for the old cattle, tra cattle cowboys uh, and who doesn't cry. And this was monkey... Monkey. Monty Walsh. M-O-N-T-E. Monty Walsh. Got it. Mon Monty Walsh. By Jack Schaefer. That's awesome. Victor, thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your amazing book, The Education mm -hmm. of a Speculator. I don't know that uh, I've had much wisdom, but I don't want to read your uh, listeners down the primrose path. And I get that. That's why I've told told them the way it is. But I, as you say, I've, I've only been trading for 55 years. So. 55 years. In my opinion, that is a long time. <laughs> you know, the, the most famous book in the field is my, my years, of, uh, 50 years of trading in Wall Street. But I've been trading 55 years. It's 55 is, a, yeah. is an incredible amount of time. I, I, wish, I wish we had more time because the things you've seen and the things you have lived through uh, have got to be extraordinary.
I wish I hadn't lived through them. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Victor. I appreciate you coming as a guest. It was really good to see you. We have to go back to trading tonight. Yes, exactly, exactly. Thank you, Bye. Victor. Aloha. Bye. Good to see you. That concludes this episode of the Steady Trade Podcast. And as usual, if you have any questions, concerns, or recommendations for us, please check us out at SteadyTrade.com, where we actually post transcripts of the episode and recap blog posts of the episode. It's a great resource if you're looking to expand your trading and get a more immersive experience from the Steady Trade Podcast. 